mentioned an announcement he didn't get to Steve that his brother-in-law has passed away. You remember J.C.'s sister um, passed away recently. What state were they in? Missouri. Missouri. And, uh, and then now uh, his sister's, late sister's husband, uh, who was in the nursing home, has passed away. And so we certainly want to remember J.C. and that family uh, also in that, in that uh, loss. We're delighted to have with us uh, Brother Steve Hall, and um, he did an outstanding job this morning, as we knew he would, in the Bible class and taking us on a, a uh, survey through the scriptures, very profitable and uh, very well uh, done, and we're looking forward to uh, the lesson this morning. Tell you a little bit about uh, Stephen and his family. He is a 2005 graduate of the Memphis School of Preaching. Uh, he and his wife, Cindy, have been married for uh, 18 years. They have three children, Hunter, Mackenzie, and Carly. I believe Hunter is the oldest, and he's uh, sick today. We're saddened by that. I'm sorry that he's not able to be uh, with us today, but hopefully he'll be uh, feeling much better soon. And, of course, uh, Stephen is the preacher for the Union Grove uh, congregation in uh, Cleveland. He's been there, I think, three years, around three years. He also serves as, uh, as one of the elders uh, there. But before that, uh, Stephen has preached for the uh, church in Piedmont, Alabama, the Highway 9 congregation, and also for the South Middleton congregation in uh, Middleton, Tennessee. Many of you know, of course, that uh, Stephen is the uh, uh, speaker, one of the speakers on our uh, television program, Good News Today. He... He is the host of the Challenges segment, and um, he does a, a wonderful job with that in reminding us of the challenges that we face in our everyday lives and how to meet those challenges uh, applying God's Word. So we are delighted to have, uh, have him with us for this gospel uh, meeting, and we hope that you will be with us for every service. I might mention I just finished a gospel meeting in Maryville, Tennessee uh, at the Eastside Congregation. Of course, that's where my son-in-law, Kevin, uh, preaches. And, of course, it was great to be uh, with the family, but with the family of God there uh, as well. And we had a baptism the last night of the meeting that was just one of the most beautiful uh, uh, ceremonies uh, I've seen in terms of that event. And it's always a joy, obviously, when a precious soul uh, uh, enters the body of Christ, being added thereto by the Lord himself upon sweet obedience to the gospel. But this was a young lady whose great-grandfather I have known for many years is a member in Sevierville, there where John Daniels preaches, and she had been talking to her folks who were members there at Maryville at Eastside about obeying the gospel, and they had determined that to show, though she is young, she knew the truth, and I believe that, and you could see that uh, as she just beamed uh, after her uh, conversion, but her great-grandfather baptized her into Christ, and the words he spoke were so appropriate and so beautiful, and it was just a joy to be a part of that as we brought that meeting to, uh, to a conclusion, but that congregation is a very fine congregation, and I want to say something about attendance at our gospel meeting and where you will be at 7 o'clock uh, Monday through Wednesday and where you will be uh, tonight. And I hope it will be uh, here. And I speak, of course, to our members especially. But I couldn't help but be impressed by one of their members who 
they haven't officially placed membership yet, but I think that's just a matter of time. Uh, they have moved into the area there and building a house in Maryville. And um, this man, Dave Lawson, is one of the new coaches at the University of Tennessee football team. He's the strength coach. And he and his wife, Shannon, have four lovely children. And uh, he was there uh, Sunday morning, and he told me, he said, I may be late, but I'll be there every night. And he was. And it probably was one of the busiest weeks in that uh, program that they'll have in a while because the spring game, the orange and white game, was yesterday at 2 o'clock. So all of the week prior to that game, uh, it would have been real easy, especially uh, with a long day and then driving from Knoxville to Maryville. It would have been awfully easy to have missed at least one service, if not all of the weeknights, and he didn't miss a one. He didn't miss any. So where will you be at 7 o'clock during this week? Uh, I think that that's an example that I was impressed with and uh, even more impressed as I chatted with them and learned how determined they were to find a congregation that was solid in the truth. And they believe they found it at Eastside, and I believe they're right. Because uh, uh, when he heard my son-in-law preaching, he said, I knew this was a place where we needed to be, words to that effect. But I was impressed by that example and that dedication. And I think it's a good example for all of us to think about as we support this gospel meeting these next few days. Let's make sure that we prioritize in such a way as to make every effort, if at all possible, to be here for every service. Brother Stephen Hall will come and speak to us this morning on the nails of the cross. Brother Stephen Hall. I could not help but be reminded when, <clears throat> when Brother Dearman mentioned about the attendance of the man there that there was a sister who had a lot of physical problems, a lot of health issues, but yet she found her way to the services of the Lord's Church at every opportunity. And there was a young woman who was, of course, inspired by her, And she mustered up the courage to go to this sister. And she said, how is it with all of your health problems and all of the woes in life that you're able to make it to every service? She answered, she said, well, it's very simple. You see, my heart gets there first and then my body follows. And I'm very thankful for those very kind words. And, of course, it is this... uh, uh, great gospel effort that has been put forth, the uh, oversight, of course, the foresight of, of uh, your eldership here, and of course how thankful I am for them and for the invitation to uh, be with you this week. I'm very thankful, of course, to our brother Dearman and his lovely wife Janice and all the, the good hard work that, that they do here and, of course, the entire congregation As I mentioned at the Bible class at the beginning, that your faith, of course, has been spoken of, I believe, throughout the the entire world. And whenever you, of course, hear White Oak Church of Christ, you automatically think, of course, of the faithfulness of this congregation, the good work that you uh, do as well in supporting the Good News Today program. And what a great privilege it is to just be a part of it. And I'm thankful to have this opportunity to spend 
with you this week. I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you, Lord willing, uh, better, and uh, and just how thankful that, that that I am to be here. My wife Cindy, and of course our two daughters Carly and Mackenzie. Our son Hunter is at home; he is sick this morning, and so. Uh, we're just very thankful that uh, it was mentioned earlier about the privilege of, of me being here, but no, that's not true. My, it's my privilege to get to be with you. And so I just want to thank you first for allowing me this great privilege. The headline in the newspaper article read, Two nails have been found in a 2,000-year-old tomb. These nails are believed to have been the nails used to crucify Jesus Christ. You read through the entire article, some four or five paragraphs, and then you get to the very final sentence. And the sentence says, however, there is no proof at all that these nails came from the cross of Jesus Christ. I wonder what man would do today if he was able to hold in his hands the nails that were used to crucify Jesus Christ. When we think about these nails, of course, there is no true or in-depth description that is given in the Scriptures concerning these Roman nails. But because of archaeologists, they are able to, through their digs, find remnants. And we understand that these Roman nails that were used in crucifixion, many times were upwards in length of around eight inches. They were very crude, very rough. They, of course, weren't smooth like our nails that we can go by today. But these nails were used in the process of crucifixion. And the Romans, however, they did not invent the process of crucifixion. They mastered it. The Romans became extremely proficient in crucifying individuals. And we find that it, of course, was by the hands of the Romans that Jesus Christ was crucified. Now the nails were driven into the hands, the Scriptures teach, of Jesus. But according to the Greeks, the hand would would actually be the entire part of the lower arm. And so as the nails were driven, they would have been driven between the the radius and the ulna into the wrist as he was suspended upon the cross. There is a tendon that runs from the wrist all the way to the shoulders. And that caused that tendon to become ruptured. And medical doctors will inform us that the reason one upon the cross is dying is because he's literally asphyxiating. As the one hangs upon the cross, and as our Lord hangs upon the cross, he would have to pull himself up to exhale. He would have to do all he could to raise himself up. He could breathe in, but the problem was breathing out. And as Jesus hung upon that cross, he would have pushed himself up at every breath with his back after it had been bloodied and bruised and beaten, rubbing across that wood on the cross. How terrible it is, is it not, to think of the agony that our Lord endured upon that cross. 
But brethren, if there's one thing that you're going to take away from this sermon this morning, please listen. It is this. It was not those nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his love for us. It was not the nails that held him up on that cross. It was his love for every one of us. You see, nails fasten things together. We use nails in building. We use nails to fasten things, to hold things together. And I want us to read about the imprint now of these nails Open your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 20 as as we look at the only time after all of the references that are made to nails, they are used nine references or nine times in the King James Bible, but only once do we find them in reference to Jesus. We find in John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24, uh, about this man Thomas, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And in verse 26, And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered, and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed, blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me? Now this morning, I want us to focus upon those nails. But I want us to focus upon what nails can do. Nails, as I mentioned, fasten things together. And there are four points that I want us to focus on this morning. Considering what nails do and what the nails of the cross have done. Number one, the nails of the cross have nailed down the faithfulness of God for the entire world to see. Notice in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, that Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But now notice verse 17. For therein is revealed the righteousness of God from faith to faith. For it is written, the just shall live by faith. Notice again that Paul says that in the cross, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. Brethren, God is righteous. He is faithful. And we find that He, of course, is dependable in all ways. 
I want us to notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Concerning the faithfulness of God. He says, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. That word amen means so be it, or true, or faithful. And notice all the promises of God in Christ are true. Romans chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says, And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This morning, are you convinced about the faithfulness of God? You see, it could be the case that, that I could make a promise to you and then not carry through on it. I may overpromise. I may overestimate that promise that I have made. I might find out later on that I do not have the resources to carry through on the promise that I have made to you. I may have all good intentions. I might have the, the greatest of, of sincerity and desire to fulfill that promise that I have made. But do you know it is the case that I'm human? And I may come to realize and understand that I cannot fulfill that promise that I have made to you. And in essence, I would let you down. But you see, God never makes a promise that he is unable to keep. God is faithful. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I love this verse. Because this shows that not only are the promises of God sure, but they are overflowing. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, I love that verse, exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Just when we think that we've understood the faithfulness of God, notice that it is exceedingly abundantly above what we can actually think and know. We find as well in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. We read about Sarah. And I want us to understand how Sarah viewed the faithfulness of God. Remember that God had promised Abram, Sarai, a child. Well, notice in Hebrews 11, verse 11, that we read, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. But notice this, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So the nails of the cross. Nailed down the faithfulness of God for the entire world to see. You see, God means what he says, and he says what he means. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he spoke to the serpent in the garden, he made a great promise that was kept. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through verse 3, we read again of another promise that God made unto Abram. And we find as well in Galatians 4 and verse 4, that after all of the events that took place, the wars, the captivities, the slavery, apostasy after apostasy, after all of those things, God kept His promise. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We find the nails of the cross assure us of the faithfulness of God. But secondly this morning, the nails of the cross nailed shut the door to Judaism. There are so many today in the world who believe that the nation of Israel, those who practice Judaism, are God's chosen people still. 
They believe that Israel is going to be restored, that, that they are part of this covenant that exists today. But brethren, we are not under the old law. We are not under the Old Testament system. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul makes this abundantly and exceedingly clear when he says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, notice this, having nailed it to the cross. So the, the nails of the cross then have nailed shut this door of Judaism. We are now under a new covenant, Hebrews 9, verse 15. The writer says, and for this reason, he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who were called may receive the promise, notice that, the promise of eternal inheritance. In Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 24, Paul again speaks about the purpose of the law. He says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So why then was there even a covenant made? Why did God make that covenant with Israel? Why did he then teach them and tell them how they were to worship and how they were to serve him then? Because it all pointed to the cross. You see, from the very moment before time began, the church was in the mind of God. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11. And that eternal purpose which is found in the church. Jesus said to the lady in Samaria at the well, that there will come a time when God will seek the true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Why true worship? Didn't the Israelites worship God according to His commandments? Did not they have the truth? Well, yes. But that was to be fulfilled in the church. Spirit and in truth. Notice in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, Paul addresses this question. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, notice this, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and that it was appointed through the angels by the hands of a mediator. Now, now what seed was he talking about? What promise was he talking about? He was talking about the promise given to Abram. Now, Abram was not a Jew. Abram was not an Israelite. He was a Hebrew. And we find later on, of course, it was Jacob who had his name changed to Israel. Therefore, from his lineage, they were known as Israelites. And then later on, we find that the southern kingdom, Judah, is where the term Jews came from. But the nails of the cross nailed shut the law and the requirement of the priesthood. The nails of the cross nailed shut the burning of incense. The nails of the cross nailed closed the keeping of the Sabbath and all of the Old Testament concerning our obedience and covenant therein. In Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus makes it clear that He came to fulfill all that was written in the law and in the Psalms and in the prophets. Now, what is this idea of being fulfilled? Well, one way that, that I think we can perhaps understand what it means to fulfill is this. You have a man and you have a, a, a lady, and the man asks the lady if he would be his bride. So therefore, they become engaged or betrothed. 
Now, they go through this period known as the engagement period, the betrothal period. Now, when they get married, they fulfill that engagement. Did it destroy it? No, it did not destroy the engagement, but rather it fulfilled the engagement. And that is exactly what the old law was for. It was fulfilled in Christ, Romans 10 verse 4, for Jesus Christ is the aim or the goal of the law. But there are a lot of people today who talk about the promise that was given to Israel, that, that the land is going to be given back and, and they're going to possess this land. But I want us to notice something. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 21 verse 43. And I want us to notice this morning about this land promise that was given Many today, again, take the position that simply because you practice a form of Judaism, then you are under the covenant that was given in the Old Testament. But remember again that Jesus fulfilled that. So what about the land promise? I want us to notice in Joshua 21 verse 43, we read, And the Lord gave unto Israel all, notice that word, not a portion, not just a little bit, not just enough to hold them over until 2,000 years goes by, until they finally can get it all, but rather all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. Paul tells us and reminds us that to try to go back under Judaism today would mean falling from grace, Galatians 5 and verse 4. So the nails of the cross nailed down the faithfulness of God for the world to see. The nails of the cross nailed closed that acceptable worship that God had known as Judaism. But third this morning, the nails of the cross nailed together believers' baptism and saving blood. Brethren, we find that the, the salvation that is of Jesus Christ through His blood is when we come into contact with that blood. Now, how, how is it we come into contact with the blood? Well, we find that, of course, in Revelation 7, beginning in verse 13, notice what we read concerning the blood of Christ. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know, saith he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Notice as well as in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, that Peter reminds us that we, of course, were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but rather by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. But notice that the Scriptures teach over and over and over again, beyond any shadow of a doubt, the relationship between the blood of Christ and our coming into contact with the blood in baptism. We are going to sing a song, of course, uh, that what can wash away our sins? Well, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that is exactly correct. I heard a, a, a preacher one time, as he was, was talking about baptism, he, he was not a member of the church, 
But he said that, that baptism is not essential. Only the blood of Christ is necessary. Only the blood of Christ can wash away sins. And did you know, to some degree, he was correct. Because it is only the blood of Jesus Christ that can wash away our sins. But that isn't the question that we must ask. The question we must ask is when do we come into contact with that blood? And notice that we find that we are washed from our sins when we come into contact with His blood. Notice what Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 reminds us of and teaches us, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us, and notice this, washed us from our sins in His own blood. Now, we find that the Bible says we are washed from our sins in the blood of Christ. But the Bible also says that we are washed from our sins in baptism. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Ananias said unto Saul, Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So notice that we are washed from our sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are washed from our sins in baptism. But secondly, it is through the blood that we have remission of sins. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus says, For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. But likewise, it is through baptism that we have remission of sins. Notice in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But as well, it was the death of Christ it was in the death, or Christ's death, that his blood was shed for us. We are reminded in John 19, verse 34, about the soldiers that came out, and we read one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. But also the Bible teaches that we are baptized into his death, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 4. I have had the, the privilege to speak at and give the eulogy at, at several funerals. And there's never been a funeral that I've had the privilege to be a part of where a live person was buried in the ground. You see, Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and verse 4, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? You see, we, we die to ourselves, we are buried with Him in baptism, and then we are raised to walk in newness of life. So we find that man must not and cannot draw out those nails that nail together the saving blood and believer's baptism. But finally this morning, I want us to notice that what the nails of the cross did concerning nailing shut any other way unto heaven. We sing a song or a hymn. The words remind us, I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. Remember in John chapter 14, as Jesus is about to speak to his apostles, he's about to give them a, a, a great discourse on comfort. 
He knows, of course, that he is going to leave them and that there's going to be a comforter that comes to them. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And now we're going to be introduced again to the man we met earlier, Thomas. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, so many people who have lived over the years have claimed to have been the way. Mohammed, Confucius, Buddha, Egyptian pharaohs, Roman emperors, kings and princes. Over all of the years, many and, and time and time again have claimed that they were the way. But brethren, there is no other way but Jesus. There are thousands of religions in the world today that claim to be the way. But you see, none of them can teach and be the way. In Amos chapter 3, verse 3, Amos asks the question, can two walk together except they be agreed? The idea behind that is this, is before two people can set out on a journey together, there must be an understanding of their destination. And before they can walk together, they must have an understanding of where they are going, where they are headed. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Division, of course, seeks to undo what our Lord has died for. In John 17, the longest recorded prayer we have of Jesus. In John 17, he prays both the unity between him and the Father. He prays there be unity between the apostles. He prays also for the unity in the church. You see, the nails of the cross, nailed closed, any possible way other than Jesus into heaven. In her poem, The Three Crosses, Helen Bauer reminds us of these thoughts. She writes, three crosses on a lonely hill, a thief on either side. And in between the Son of God, how wide the gulf, how wide. <laughs> Yet one thief spanned it with the words, O Lord, remember me. The other scoffed and turned aside to lost eternity. Forsaken is the hilltop now and all the cross is gone, but in believing hearts of men the center cross lives on. And still as with the sentinels first met earth's wandering view, the presence of the Lord divides upon which side are you? The nails of the cross, of course, nailed down the faithfulness of God for the world to see. Nailed shut the door to Judaism. Nailed together blood and baptism and nailed closed any other way unto heaven. But what are those nails? What do those nails today mean to you? Are they enough perhaps today to nail down your conviction? Are those nails perhaps enough today to nail down your conversion? Are those nails of the cross enough today to nail down your commitment to Him? Perhaps there is one here this morning who has yet to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Perhaps there is one here who, who has, has heard the gospel preached and, and perhaps now has believed that Jesus is the Son of God as the Bible teaches in John 8, 24. And, and now you are willing and ready to repent of your sins, Acts 17, verse 30. And this morning you are now ready to confess with the mouth your belief and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Matthew 10, verse 32. And perhaps this morning there is one who is ready to become a Christian by being baptized into Christ, Acts 22 and verse 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Or perhaps this morning there is a child of God who has wandered back into the world as Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that the child of God once been, has, that has been saved or, or escaped the pollutions of the world can once again become entangled therein. And perhaps there is one here today that needs to come home. Perhaps one, a child of God today who needs to repent and confess and be restored. 1 John chapter 1 beginning in verse 7 we read that as we repent and confess... He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. So this morning, I want us to think about the nails of the cross as we sing this invitation song. And if there is one here who is not prepared to enter into eternity, will you make preparations right now? As together we stand and as we sing.